Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together, we host the Silver Screen Savers podcast. And today, guys, it's finally time to talk about the long-awaited Batman. Later, we're going from Gotham to New York City to continue our Oscar Rewind series and discuss the new West Side Story. Remember, we have timestamps in the episode description if you want to flip-flop back and forth to the various sections. First, as always, is our weekly watch list. So, Matt, what have you been watching this week? Um, so, I have been on such a Colin Farrell kick this week. Um, I've watched, including the Batman, I've watched four Colin Farrell films in the last seven days. I watched, so, The Batman, which we'll be talking about shortly. I watched After Yang, which I believe we're also going to be covering very soon. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then I watched two back-to-back films that Colin Farrell did with uh, director Yorgos Lanthimos, who I believe, Mike, you have briefly discussed on the show before and mentioned. Absolutely. Uh, very, very unique director. A couple of unique pieces of work that I watched from him. And those were The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. I, I would say they're very different in, in the sense of their plots, but similar in the execution, if that makes sense. I mean, this director has a very unique style of writing and directing. Um,. My biggest take, I mean, they're both, first and foremost, I will say they were both fantastic movies. I will give a slight edge to The Lobster as being the better of the two, in my opinion. I agree. They are both definitely wild rides, as far as the narrative goes. Like, the, very, some very dark subject matter, but I think what makes them so unique is the way that they are written. The dialogue is almost, like, it's, it's very tight, it's very concise, the way he writes his movies. Yeah. Lanthimos is like hyper dark comedy is how I would describe exactly. it. Exactly. It's like the, the way that they're written and the way that they're performed is almost goof. I hate to say goofy to a point. But no, you're right. In, in, in these, it really works because it almost cuts the rather dark subject matter at hand in the narrative, especially in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which... I don't want to go too much into the plot because I think the less you know about that film going into it, the better. Same with The Lobster. But across the board, every Colin Farrell film I've seen in the last week has been solid to fantastic from him. Excellent. Tyler. I also watched The Lobster uh, this week, and I have to say that the second half really dragged it down for me. I was very interested in the first half. The second half was fine. It was good. I just thought it was much less than the the first half really set up. Yeah, I will say one thing I did want to mention, and I think Mike actually is the one that originally worded it like this. It almost feels like two different movies. A movie in two parts, you know, where you get the first half sort of like dystopian... Well, it's all dystopian future, but it the tone really shifts... At, at a certain point that without I can't really say without spoiling so I won't and that yeah it is in two halves um, I agree the first half is better I still like the second half first half is also just proof that John C. Riley is just one of the most delightful actors that, that we have <laughs> at the current moment uh, and Yorgos Lanthimos as I mentioned on another episode is going to have a movie later this year so hopefully we can talk about him uh, more extensively Tyler, did you watch anything else? 
I did not. All right. I just want to mention one thing that I watched. It was a new thing, new movie on Hulu. It's called No Exit. Uh, during a blizzard, a recovering addict gets stranded at a park visitor center with a few other travelers. When she discovers an abducted girl in one of their vans, she might she has to discover and fight the kidnapper. This is directed by Damien Power, written by Andrew Bearer and Gabriel Ferrari, and based on the novel by Taylor Adams. This is a thriller with an excellent premise and a lot of potential. The cast is good. There are some tense situational setups and twists. There's a complete left turn at one point that was genuinely surprising to me. But it just it didn't get all the way there. It was still fun, but the dialogue gets a little stiff. The direction's a little flat. It doesn't take full advantage of its suspenseful scenes. But this was a very interesting watch because if this was 20 or 30 years ago and the script was punched up a bit, the budget a little bigger. This could have been a knockout thriller that could have made a lot of money. In fact, this was originally slated for a theatrical release, but it was pulled. I'm not trying to be old man about this kind of thing, like, oh, we don't get these kind of movies anymore, but I just found it an interesting case study of a movie being affected by the time in which it was made. Um, But I still recommend it for a fun thriller that's no exit available on Hulu. You guys ready to move to the Batman? I'm ready. I'm vengeance. (laughs) All right, let's talk about it. So in the Batman, the Dark Knight must follow a trail of violence and corruption to find a killer who is publicly executing Gotham City's elite. This is directed by Matt Reeves, who I'm a big fan. I don't know about you guys. I'm a big fan of the Planet of the Apes new trilogy. Did you guys see all of those? Did he do all three of them or did he? I thought he just did like the latter two. Um, let me check real quick. Because I saw the one with James Franco, and I think I remember yes. liking that one, but I don't think I saw the other two. Yeah, I stuck with it, and I was highly rewarded. I agree with that. I did see all three, and I enjoyed them. Yeah. How about Cloverfield? You guys Cloverfield fans? Not at all. I didn't like the first Cloverfield. I didn't see Tang Cloverfield Lane or the Cloverfield Paradox. I just I had no interest. So Cloverfield Paradox, not good. You can skip that. 10 Cloverfield Lane was great. Cloverfield was fine. It was okay. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that was like a product of its time, like where like everyone loved it at the time. And then like, uh, it's actually not that good. Yeah. I mean, it it really tried to capitalize on the found footage thing. But I, f- from what I remember of it, it just, I think it was just very anticlimactic. And I think that's what I really didn't like about it. Like it just yeah. kind of ended. And you're absolutely right. He did just do the last two Planet of the Apes. So thank you for that. But I like those a lot. I also agree. 10 Cloverfield Lane is is really, really good. Uh, but directed by Matt Reeves, written by Reeves and Peter Craig, based, of course, on the character created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger and, of course, many other iterations of the Batman comic. Matt, why don't you tell us first, what were your thoughts on the Batman and would you recommend it? Well, first off, just real quick, I want to kind of sidetrack a little bit and point out uh, documentary. I believe it was on Hulu. I, I want to say Hulu. Um, because the character Batman, of course, created by Bob Kane and Bill, and Bill Finger. But up until recently, probably within the last... I, want to, I almost want to say only the last decade. Um, Bob Kane was all the only one ever really credited with the creation of Batman. Hmm. Whereas Bill Finger had just as much, if not more, involvement. And there's a very good 
documentary about it on Hulu. I think it's called like Batman and Bill or Bill and Batman or something like that. Um, it's a very good documentary that kind of dives into that and sort of the fight to get Bill Finger proper credit with the creation of all these characters that are Batman and Batman adjacent. That's really cool. But um, as far as this Batman, the Batman, I really enjoyed it. I actually like it better the more I think about it and analyze it. There were some things that I thought were, that I can see why they are divisive and questionable. But I think it really, I think overall, without saying too much, the filmmakers had a vision of what they wanted this Batman to be, and I think they largely achieved that. And for that, I will give it tons of props. And I, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Would you recommend it to everybody? I'd say everybody with an asterisk. What's the asterisk? Okay. Um, if you're a very nitpicky person, you probably won't enjoy it as well. But I think it throwing shots. <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're here to nitpick, so I'm I'm calling shots at myself just as well. But um, I uh I think. I th- I think it's a good like middle of the road almost if that makes sense like general audiences might feel alienated because it does kind of it does kind of gloss over the origin story of Batman although most people he's a ha- should hopefully know even most general audiences should generally know the story of Batman much like with Spider Man and knowing his origins at this point but I can see how the lack of how it kind of the fact that it kind of fast forwards through that and glosses over that aspect of it. I could see how that could alienate like super, super basic general audiences. Not that there's anything wrong with being in that camp, but I'm just saying. And then the really nitpicky, the ones that are much like us are going to break it down, look at the cinematography versus the acting versus the narrative choices and etc. I mean, if you're looking at, if you're going into it, looking for nits to pick, you're probably going to find some. But if you're just looking for a decent time, maybe not a perfect time, but a decent movie, decent time, I think it is certainly there. Tyler, what do you think? So I'm going to start this off because I feel like I'm going to be very critical and I don't want people to think like I did not like this at all. I'd give it like probably a 7 out of 10. I think it was my biggest criticism was that it probably about 40 minutes longer than it needed to be. Yeah. Um, but I just I think I'm more critical because I mean I, I'm gonna say this and this isn't like some niche group, but I'm a huge Batman fan. I've loved Batman since I was a kid. I grew up watching the Batman animated series. I've played games. I've watched shows, movies. Um, I have the 1966 Batmobile Lego on my desk right here. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I I watched every episode of the 1966 Batman. Man series, so I love the campy Batman. I like serious Batman, so I I think that's why I'm more critical of it. And just I I just didn't get enough from this to be like it. I feel like a lot of people are just calling this a masterpiece and that I'm seeing like over the top praise for it, and I just wasn't there. I enjoyed it. Um, I'd recommend it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a Batman fan, sure. Um, if you got a half a day to kill watching it, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I, I think the performances were good and everything. Um, but I just there's a lot I had problems with not problems with but a lot i was critical of that i felt like a lot of people either weren't critical of or like were praising so i thought it was odd but we'll get into that later yeah i 
similar in in Tyler's camp. There are many aspects that I think are actually pretty refreshing about this. I enjoy the detective style of this. The more, uh, I don't want to say juvenile, but more inexperienced Batman that we get. We see a, a bit more of the mistakes that are made. The partnership between Batman and Commissioner Gordon was one of my favorite parts. I thought that was really done more so than in other movies. The way it grapples with the Waynes was interesting until it wasn't. Uh, I had fun with the viewing experience for the most part. But for a three-hour movie with the, one of the most iconic characters on the planet, not much about this movie stayed with me. I think on repeat viewings, I could get more about this. And certainly... The more I've thought about it, the more you know I've been able to appreciate it, if not like it more. And I know it's certainly aimed to be dour and dark, but I found this to be so stripped down that it was just like a noir film where one guy happened to be dressed up in a bat costume, which I know a lot of people like. I just, it leaves me questioning why this had to be a Batman movie. And I can't say that either the Batman half of this or the mystery half of this are that captivating to me, at least. Well, I, I think that's what I do think that's what they set out for, as far as the noir aspect of it. Yeah, that's cool, and they succeeded. It's just not my favorite. Yeah, and that's kind of all I was trying to get at. It's like it's it's good, but you got to be in a certain camp to really fully appreciate it. Yeah, and I, no, go ahead. I just want to say, so I'm. Based on like piggybacking off your comment, Mike, I, I as someone who loves Batman, I love the insanity that you can put into a Batman movie. I don't know why you have to ground it down to like he's just a guy who dresses as a bat and takes on the mob when you can have like these nuts villains that he faces, and then you're like taking them and turning them into like he's a serial killer who live streams. I I, I get it. You want to make a gritty, realistic one, but you don't have to with Batman. Like we can accept a lot of craziness that goes along with that so i don't i don't get just not like like that's how i felt about the joker too like did that need to be a joker movie so i mean i i get where they're going but i'm in like if you're taking a superhero comic book movie you can you can go crazy with it you don't need to make it like just a murder mystery where a guy dresses as a bat well yeah i struggle with the debate between like I think everyone should be able to, you know, make their own interpretation. And overall, I'm glad that Matt Reeves and his team and the cast got to make the thing that they wanted to make. I, I think that's excellent in the cinema world today. Um, so I, I can't be critical of that. I just, for me, I just, I don't know, maybe would have preferred a regular, this is a regular noir. But, you know, that's just my, my taste. Well, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the their choice of source material because i mean it's been a while since i've read the long halloween or the batman year one but from what i can recall those were both pretty relatively grounded stories as well yeah so i mean i can understand what you guys are saying as far as like it doesn't have to be grounded or it doesn't this type of story doesn't necessarily have to be a batman story but at the end of the day the this was to a point, a Batman story was based on actual Batman stories. So I think for the real big comic book fans out there that have been waiting for a take like this on on film, that's why I think that the praise is as high as it is. Yeah, I, and that's valid. I'm not going to argue with any of it. It's just, uh, you know, not every movie is, is going to be my favorite. Yeah. 
but the like the long Halloween, which is based on like literally is about the calendar man. I mean, that's just a goofy as hell serial killer. So I think even then you're stripping it down to like the Riddler's just the guy who kills people and like asks the like gives riddles and cards. I mean, technically, Calendar Man is canon in the DC in DC cinema at this point. I would have liked to see him in that if they had done more of a long Halloween take, but that's just me being me fantasizing now at this point. But well, I I will say I definitely recommend this to all Batman fans, even just to see what you think. I don't think I would recommend this to general audiences. This is a three-hour, pretty dark and dour. Uh, you know, if you like a mystery, maybe, but I. I can't say I fully recommend this to somebody who just kind of wants to sit and be entertained for a couple of hours. Can I just say that if you like a mystery, I don't recommend this movie because okay. the mystery sucked. All right, fair enough. It wasn't the best. Let, let's talk about Batman himself and maybe a little bit of Bruce Wayne, though we don't get a lot of that in this movie. What did you guys think of Robert Pattinson as Batman? Because I thought his Batman was quite excellent. I thought across the board, I thought he was solid. I, I honestly think he can contend with the rest of the iterations, the rest of the portrayals. And and the thing is, it's hard, it's so hard to come, much like the Joker, it's so hard to compare just like side by side Batman portrayals because so far all the the ones we've gotten on film have just been pretty significantly different in each way. So I mean, it's kind of a cop out to say, oh, it's apples to oranges, but for me, it kind of is. I thought Pattinson gave a solid portrayal. He's definitely probably one of my top as far as my personal preference. Um, but with that said, it was for him as an actor, for me, it was definitely more reserved than I'm used to seeing in the last few years. Notably with Good Time and The Lighthouse. It was a very not nearly as manic performance from him as I'm used to. I feel like he, at one point I was thinking he reverted back to 2011, back to his Twilight days. But granted, for this role, I think it worked, for the most part, more the times than not. Um, yeah, I was thinking like one of the biggest criticisms I did see of people for this movie was like, oh, they're like, why was Bruce Wayne not different from Batman? I think that worked for this movie. It's supposed to be an early Batman, you know. It's kind of like he hasn't really made this kind of like Batman is him now. Bruce Wayne's kind of like another piece of Batman. So I thought that worked. I did enjoy this Batman. I did like. I think Christian Bale, one of my biggest gripes with his Batman was that the the gravelly voice he did sometimes came off goofy when he was Batman. Um, so I'm glad Robert Hansen just kind of used a normal voice. I, I think that worked well. Um, but I, I, I did like his performance a lot. I think he really um, kind of brought in this emo uh, <laughs> My Chemical Romance Batman. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I, again, for me, it's it's so hard to like compare this to other iterations because it's just a vastly different story to a vastly different vibe of a movie then let's just take it on its own take it on its yeah, own then i mean but i mean you got you got to be compared to this i mean this character has been played so long yeah whatever we're not talking about those movies yeah, well i mean yeah you're gonna just bring up i mean who's the first thing you think is when you see this is like how would i rate this batman versus other batman well yeah we do it with the joker too well that i was having this conversation with my father earlier like he was saying like oh no one's ever gonna top heath ledger it's like well i can see that 
someone thinking that, but at the same time, you can't compare Heath Ledger to Cesar Romero because they're just so vastly different with intentions and with just the way, just they're just vastly different vibes, and they're supposed to be. And it's okay to keep put them on the same level, but for different reasons, you know. I wasn't expecting to say this on this podcast, but if you'll allow me to wax poetic for a second, that's the beautiful thing about movies and art to me is that. <laughs> People can be doing different things, and nobody has to be better than anybody else. It's just, it's your thing, it's my thing, it's our thing. All right. Wax poetic time over. Go ahead. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself, honestly. Yeah. I, d- I do like that, um, you know, at first I obviously wasn't getting a lot from the Bruce Wayne, but you guys are right, it does make sense, be- you know, if you think about it, because this is only a-, a couple of short years into his, his Batman career and if you were going to become a man who dresses up in a bat suit makes crazy technology and then fights the biggest villains in a city that is just filled with just just to the brim with villains yeah it might consume all your time so it makes total sense and i also thought it really worked to place him up against zoe kravitz as selena kyle and batwoman Right, because he is at this point rejecting his humanity, his individualism. He just wants to be a shadow in the city. Whereas she, as more um, of her person, she does things for personal reasons. She's very strong in that. And I thought placing them opposed to each other uh, was it was a very smart choice. Said Batwoman. Did I say Batwoman? Oh, Catwoman. Batwoman. Sorry, the bat and the cat. <laughs> the bat and the bat. Michelle Biffer. We gotta have a a Batverse movie after a certain point. Let's let's save that for another day. Can I just can I just do a brief thing on Catwoman? In that like all that was there of like Catwoman was she owned cats. Other than that, like she didn't steal. Like she wasn't a thief or anything. Well, you I, you I mean, are I'm fine a, with that. you are a host of the podcast, but no, you're not allowed to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Like, they didn't really put anything of her character into it. And I, we'll talk about it later, but I was not feeling the romance between them. I thought it just kind of happened. No, that was, yeah. Individually, I think um, I think it was Stu from the Stu World Order podcast. He was talking about it. Um, how individually, he was basically saying individually they were both fantastic. But the scenes together really kind of didn't feel quite right. And I couldn't agree more yeah. with that. Yeah. The, the... Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, the, I'll spoil here. The kiss felt forced. Like, it had to be there just because, you know, this is a couple we've accepted in media. Yeah. Um, but to your point as well, that's another thing that I feel like the movie definitely glossed over is just the origin and the kind of background of Catwoman. It goes into it goes in and introduces her, expecting you to know who she is. Yeah. And another reason why it's, I'd say, it, I agree with the general point that like it'd be kind of tough to recommend this to general audiences that don't at least have a robust knowledge of Batman and their characters' backstories, you know? I actually enjoy that about the movie. It's like, we don't need to see Uncle Ben die again. It, you know, if you, if you have somewhat of a working knowledge, I, I think this movie very uh, is very good at just kind of you, kind of dipping you into the pool of, of Gotham City. I don't know. I didn't hate the romance between them. I think it was something that was meant to start with this movie, 
but maybe not conclude, if you know what I mean. Because mm. the whole time she is, you know, throwing an invisible lasso around him and trying desperately to, like, pull him in the whole time. Also, let's not forget, this movie is very, very voyeuristic. There are multiple scenes of us just POV in somebody's zoom-in goggles, and they're just creeping on people. They're just <laughs> yeah, Batman's people. a bit of a perv. Yeah. <laughs> Batman, he's, he's gathering information, <laughs> but he ling- he lingers a little bit longer he's than like he should have. lingering a bit. <laughs> There's no information here, Batman. Yeah. So I, I, I think they planted seeds that weren't meant to be reaped in this movie. So I, I can't criticize that part. It wasn't the romance of the year, but... We gotta remember this guy is pretty consumed with. I mean, he names himself Vengeance. So yeah, I mean, as someone who, as a Bruce Wayne, that it's clearly meant to be like sort of antisocial and socially awkward, and it makes sense. Yeah, and I thought Zoe Kravitz was cast perfectly. Absolutely, in this movie. she fits so yeah. well. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah, agreed. How did you guys feel about Paul Dano as the Riddler slash? Edward Nashton. I think I think you said it perfectly, Mike, when we were talking about it after, and that like when he was masked, yeah, I was buying into that. I was enjoying that. It's kind of creepy. And then, uh, spoiler, <laughs> later in the movie, he gets a little goofy, a little too goofy. That really kind of just diminishes everything that he had set up earlier in the movie. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of felt like he was kind of a joke towards the end. Yeah, he kind of devolves into like a Joker Junior type of uh portrayal toward the end i mean overall i thought he was fine he did fine but nothing to write home about necessarily i mean it was no jim carrey but i don't know (laughs) yeah i have one i have one kind of nitpick that bothered me a little bit about that scene but we will we'll talk about that when we get to the spoiler section jeffrey wright as commissioner gordon i thought was excellent i totally bought him as a human being who is working to find this serial killer who only trusts a man who is dressed up like a bat and has no one else to turn to. I just bought it, and I love the rapport between them two. I will absolutely agree. That was my favorite part. I loved Jeffrey Wright's portrayal of the commissioner. Mm -hmm. He wasn't even like a great cop or anything in this. He was just kind of a guy who trusts a guy he doesn't know in a bat suit, and that's it. Mm. And it works so well. Like, he's literally like, ah, that's your thing, man, not mine. (laughs) Like, he's talking about Batman like he's his buddy. And I thought that was great. But Jeffrey Wright, he always brings such a charm to his roles, you know. 100%. I I really enjoyed the almost buddy cop-esque banter between him and Batman in a lot of the scenes. Yeah, definitely the highlight of the movie for me as well. He was the best part of the French Dispatch, I thought. And, you know, to, to have a scene where he gets punched in the face and make it comical was an achievement in this. That's the thing. It, that's another thing. I, it, it's, it very subtly, like, tucks in some humor here and there, too, during the yeah. runtime of this film. Andy Serkis, very reliable as, as Alfred. John Turturro was good as, as Carmine Falcone. Falcone or Falcone? It depends on which movie you're watching. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's much like Rachel Ghoul or Ra's Al Ghoul. Yeah, I couldn't remember <laughs> it right after. Every time. And 
the the big one, Matt. You can you can go ahead on this one. Colin Farrell as the Penguin, as Penguin. You know what? Uh, on paper, it's a perplexing casting choice for sure, but in execution, it was much better than I could have expected. And that's uh, to save some time. I'll that's about the extent of what I'll say for now. I will say that it was an odd casting for what the role was, but I enjoyed it. I think he, he really had fun with it, and I honestly would have rather, would have liked to see him more so than the Riddler, honestly. Yeah. Like, give me, give me a Batman that he's the well, villain. He's, the main he's getting a spinoff from what I read. What, in what way? Like, his own like, show? I think that, some, like kind of, some kind of... I don't know if he's going to be centric or... What I think the the way it's listed on IMDb is is like Penguin spinoff series or something like that. <laughs> Very cleverly named. It's like, but apparently, from what I've read, from what I've heard and read of of it, I guess Matt Reeves is going to be involved with it still and everything. From I I believe I'm not 100. percent I'll have to do more research, but I, I it's on IMDb, and if it's on IMDb, then it must be true. Well, you know it was on IMDb. That I don't think is happening now. Oh hell no. So, <laughs> is that not happening? No, because uh, Ice Cube doesn't want to get vaccinated. Oh hell no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, he was he craft he crafted. I'm sorry, I'm so boggled by this, I can't speak. He crafted a great character. I just, I, I was just like, I don't, why does this have to be Colin Farrell? I really don't understand. Like, who was watching after Yang or? the lobster and went hold the phone he's got to be the pen like i i don't understand it still i can't be critical of it because he was very good in it but i just i don't understand the conception of this at all someone watched him with his irish accent like he needs to do a brooklyn accent that's the penguin (laughs) we'll cake him in so much makeup you can't even tell who it is yeah they were watching in bruges and they're like you know what 15 years from now I think he could be in Gotham City. I think uh, I think Jared Leto could take a few pointers from him, honestly, as far as how to act with a bunch of prosthetics on. Yes, you're <laughs> absolutely right about that. I will say that, like, if it came out today, right now, that that was not Colin Farrell, I'd be like, okay, sure. Like, I still look at him like, <laughs> that's not Colin Farrell. That could not be Colin Farrell under there. It could be anyone. <laughs> you just told me that, so I'd be like, oh, Colin Farrell's. <laughs> right, just an elaborate ruse. <laughs> In the beginning of this movie, I was pretty impressed by the the feeling, the atmosphere of Gotham City. You definitely felt that long Halloween influence on it. Um, it just felt very like creepy and dark and surrounding. And then as the movie went on, I was not a huge fan of this Gotham City. It felt a little Cityville, USA, and, I, and not my favorite. I, I thought it just felt like New York. Like, you saw Times Square. They, Gotham Square Garden. Come on, come up with something more clever yeah, than that. Yeah, that was a little, yeah. I, like, yeah, you get the shots of what I think it was Glasgow they filmed in. If I'm uh, not mistaken. I think. And you get kind of that shot, but I didn't think it really added character. It just felt like they were in a different city during those shots. I mean, it's not the only time they've done it, though. I mean, the Joker had, apparently Gotham had a Wall Street in Joker. Yeah, it doesn't make it better. They did have a Wall Street and Dark Knight Rises as well. Yeah, so it's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm not not saying the other ones are miles ahead of it. 
I'm just saying, like, I didn't feel that much, like, I didn't feel like I was in a different city. Like Mike said, it felt like a generic U.S. city. Yeah, not my biggest complaint, but I was, I don't know, I guess we were just a little spoiled by Tim Burton and the world that was created, so, I don't know. That is very underrated, Tim Burton's Gotham. That yeah, was a absolutely. wild place. Like, that felt like nowhere in, in the world. Absolutely. Oh, I, can, we, can we get Tim Burton back? Come back, Tim Burton. Come absolutely. On, I don't please. care who the I next director him. is of, of Batman, but get Tim Burton on and have him designing. Oh, I don't mean to replace Matt Reeves or anything. I just mean in general. Oh, Tim I Burton. Get, come yes, on. I, I love Tim Burton. You guys have anything else to say before we get into some specifics? Well, let's get into the specifics. I was going to say, I really, I, I liked this Gotham City, honestly. I felt very immersed in it, even though, even if it was generic, I still felt immersed in, like, the set pieces, and it just felt dark and brooding the whole the whole runtime. I, I, I thought it was fine. I think my main complaint with it was, like, everything was just a close-up, tight shot that could have been anywhere. I, I I just didn't feel immersed because everything was so like like I mean we'll talk about it later but even the car chase took place on like a highway with nothing around it when it could have been like through the city streets showing off the city I felt like everything was so like except for establishing shots everything else is like a room or something that I, it could have been anywhere in my opinion yeah I fair enough that's how I feel but um I'm glad that other people were immersed. If I watch it again, I think I would like this more. That's that's my feeling. All right, we're going to get into spoilers now. So, spoilers beyond this point. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. All right, just a few scenes that I want to talk about specifically. I did mention the beginning and how the vibe was so excellently creepy. I love that guy with the weird green Halloween mask. I thought that was really cool. You don't get a ton of great masks in movie nowadays. I love a great mask, including Jim Carrey. Is that the one from the scene that like gave the subtle nod to Good Time with how he was dressed? Yes. Yeah. He was basically yeah, dressed like cool. Connie Nikas from Good Time. Guys, we do get, this is a PG-13 movie, which I wasn't expecting it, but it's PG-13. We do get one F-word, and we get that from Pete Savage, and he says, Happy effin' Halloween. How would you guys rate this one F-word? Solid. I, I, I thought it was good. I thought it was fine. Yeah, I thought it was effective. You know, it could have been used elsewhere, but I, I, I enjoyed it enough. I don't know if I'd give it... F word of the year. I mean, right now Moonfall is still good because they managed to get away with one and a half. But yeah, one spoken, one written. I would have loved if the f bomb was just like Batman tripped over something. Like, <laughs> you don't know if it was like a a blooper or something they kept in. Like he's just like oh f. <laughs> this did seem uh, pretty early on in a three hour movie, but you know what do I know? I did like the beginning. The Penguin car chase. Tyler, this is where I'm going to give you some time to talk about the Batmobile. Okay, straight up. So the Batmobile. I get where they're coming from. They said, like, first of all, they said, which I'm going to take umbrage with this statement. 
I don't know if this is the director who said this or who was involved in the movie, but they said they wanted to make the Batmobile look like Bruce Wayne had made it with his own hands, like in a garage. But this dude made a bulletproof bat suit. He made a grapple gun. He's making all this stuff. I think he can make cooler than like a muscle car with metal on it. I, I all I ask is for an awesome Batmobile. If I saw this car in like Fast and the Furious, I wouldn't even like bat an eye. I just want a cool Batmobile. I don't like this Batmobile that much. I feel like it was it looked like an unfinished like muscle car project. <laughs> like, I, it was fine, but I mean I, I would have liked it to be more distinct to be like a more memorable Batmobile. Like it could have been in any movie and I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a car. <laughs> I'm not a guy who needs the tank like the tumbler, although I like the tumbler. I mean my favorite Batmobile is still the 66 Batmobile. That'd be the first thing I bought if I ever had money. <laughs> you can buy replicas of those for like $300,000. So wow. That's that's what I'd do. So I mean I love the car. You can make it a car. Just make it more distinct than just a, a car with some armor on it, in my opinion. Yeah, this this scene was filmed too close for me. Um, it was just a little claustrophobic. I wanted to be it to be a little wider. I mean, it was cool. It was propulsive and everything. But one big issue, not and this is not an issue with the movie, more an issue with the marketing, is that so many of the cool moments were given away in the trailer yeah and one of them was when you know the batmobile comes bursting out of the flames and gets the penguin and you know it was i don't want to say it was cheapened by the trailer but it kind of was if i didn't know that that was going to happen it would have been a lot cooler i agree with that yeah i i I just don't agree with batman like straight up putting the lives of of like how many people died in those explosions on that street and he just ramps off their corpses to get, capture a guy who he lets go later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably not a lot died. Maybe a lot of them seriously maimed, but that doesn't count as a death, so you can't count it against. Yeah, when them. you it's a it's an action movie. You don't you don't count civilians as actual lives lost. It's like playing Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. It just you're doing your thing. Yeah. Uh, and also, I did like the little when they had the penguin waddle. Yeah, that was that nice. was a nice like rare moment <laughs> of funny humor. I was a big fan for a while of how they were portraying the Waynes, Bruce's parents, how you know maybe Thomas hired Falcone to kill a journalist because he was going to report on Martha's history of mental health issues, and I thought it could have been this excellent like. Oh, maybe my parents weren't so perfect, but I need to still rise above what they left behind and become this new this new hero or whatever. And then it's like a little undone, which I'm not like against, but I just I thought it was cool when they went to the because like I feel like most of the time in the movies, we, we never assume that, you know, Thomas and, and Martha had some serious issues like this but i was thought it was cool that they went there but then they backtracked a little yeah that is my biggest issue with the movie honestly um plot wise is that this mister is built up from the trailers and i thought it would be cool and then uh, immediately the scene after they introduce it alfred's like oh no that's not what happened it's fine they're they're good and they're like oh okay yeah well that that lost all impact i really wish if i did it I wish it would have happened earlier on and Alfred kind of stayed, 
you know, like, before he waked up, so, like, Batman was kind of, like, reconsidering his whole life now, and, like, then he learned later on that it was not true, but it just really had no impact, because they fixed it immediately. I think, going back to the Batman game by by Telltale, um, Telltale Studios does a, does the story much better, um, almost beat for beat with Falcone and everything. Um, about the Waynes being actually dirty. It does it much better. Falcone is played by Richard McGonagall, fun fact, who plays Sully in the Uncharted games. Oh. <laughs> Bringing that back not, to uh, Uncharted. Not Mark Wahlberg? Not, not, not Mark Wahlberg. Father Stu himself? But, um, <laughs> can't wait for Father Stu. <laughs> I, I just feel like we got that story and it was done so much better and that's why this one just felt so cheap to me. Like It was just kind of introduced and then immediately dashed like the mystery was terrible yeah i i agree that was another sort of trailer consequence too um not necessarily the wayne's things but the whole mystery aspect of this speaking of which after the riddler is caught and brought into arkham and he has this scene with batman one we finally learned what batman was saying through the glass (laughs) thankfully that drove me nuts for months (laughs) But, <laughs> which, as Tyler mentioned, I thought that, you know, Paul Dano was this really cool, like, you know, this movie is like a mix between Seven and Zodiac and Chinatown and Saw. Like, there are some pretty gnarly, like, kill traps in this movie. Yeah, the rat trap was, uh, yeah. was gnarly as hell. Yeah, which I... And I thought all of that was very interesting, but then once the mask comes off, he was just like a little—I don't want to use the word histrionic—but I thought the writing was good enough where he could have carried it without all the screaming. Well, I think. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I think they—I wish they kept him more in the character of he was like in the earlier film. Like, I think that still would have worked. They didn't need to make him have, like, the temper tantrum and stuff. Like, when he started singing Ave Maria, I was just like, okay, I'm done with this character. Well, <laughs> like, I don't need him anymore. I think that was their attempt at trying to sprinkle in a little bit of, like, the campier Riddler into this. But I will agree, it did, it, did, it was kind of a kind of a drop-off. Like, it, was a, it wasn't blended in very well with the rest of his performance. Right. And, then, and also, like you said, he was kind of manic at a at a certain point where he was almost like a Joker Junior, Joker White type. Yeah, of and character. your your time for a camp was over. The mask is off. Yeah. Now he's just a guy. Yeah. Uh, his motivations were horrible too, in my opinion. Like that was just the lamest. Like I, I feel like they could have made such a better story for why he was like doing that. And they're just like, he was an orphan, but he wasn't as rich as Bruce Wayne, the orphan. Oh, Actually, I was getting right. Scream 4 vibes from that. In what way? <laughs> like, uh... Oh, like the, the whole... Cousin? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you got all the attention because you, you were the orphan. Or you were the, like, the... Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, he did, basically, he was basically acting out for attention, which, like... Spoilers for Scream 4. Emma Roberts' character in Scream 4, who was actually the killer. Yeah, and then... I'm gonna th- go ahead. 
I'm gonna throw a quick script edit of this movie and just tell me if, if, if this would work. If I had written the movie exactly how it was up until this point, what I would have done for the twist of why the Riddler was that way was make the, the orphanage a Wayne property that was neglected under Bruce because he was too busy with the Batman. So that's why it, like, fell apart into disrepair and, like, the rats and the kids were dying. But then the ages would have like, been... then it would have been yeah, on the, him. The ages would have been off. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough, but... but it, yeah, true. Because, I mean... Well, I mean, I mean, but, I mean if he, you made Batman parents, older... His parents would have been dead by then, so, you know, it's kind of, like, he kind of forgot his the, the Wayne heritage to kind of forge okay, his own Okay, that would have been fair. And then he realized, like... Because, like I said to you, Mike, earlier... That the, so they treat this line, especially in the trailers, of the mayor elect of Gotham coming up and being like, "Hey, you like you don't do anything for the city." He doesn't. He's a billionaire, and his all he the only thing he could think of is like to fight p- crime in a bat suit that he admits isn't doing anything. Like he's like they're not they're just scared, but they're still going and doing crime. You could be funding programs and stuff. You're not doing anything for the city. They treat that as like a joke line, but it's true. Like, come on, use your money to help the city. Man. Well, I think that's a, that's definitely like I think that was meant to be a jab at at rich elites, like actual rich elites. You yeah, know, but like, like a commentary on it. Wouldn't have batarangs though, so. <laughs> true. Well, if it is, there. then don't. If you're if you're criticizing rich elites, don't make a Batman film, <laughs> which is all about a rich elite. I mean, but yeah, I think you you can. It just maybe this. I don't know. This kind of tried to get into it. I don't think it's the the greatest at that. But I don't think it tried to, other than a throwaway comment that yeah. was supposed to be like, oh, but he's the Batman. Yeah, he's doing a lot for the city. I also for you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but when he proposes like the partnership with Batman, I'm talking about the Riddler. And then Batman's like, no, why would I want to do that? And he's like, oh, I I didn't think you were going to say no. I'm like, what? What? You prepared all these elaborate killings and captured the, the city's most elite people? And then you're like, you never thought about what you would do if Batman said no to you? That was my nitpick with that scene. Also, like, the only, like, allyship was like, you brought the rat into the light, like I said. Like... So, like he he's been investigating your murders from the beginning, man. Yeah, and there was some a bit of uh, a few questionable jumps in logic with a lot of the riddles too. I mean, I get you know you you're not there. It's a long enough movie. I would I would not have wanted them to have wasted ten minutes on Batman. Like, oh, uh, what does this mean in Spanish? Or what is you know? Yeah. I mean, you gotta. That did give us the great line where like the penguins like your Spanish is terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, like, I mean, I understand you want to devote some time to him, make it portraying him actually being challenged with some of this stuff, where as he kind of seemed to walk through most of the riddles. Yeah, um, I thought that was okay. It's, you know, it. I mean, that's a very. I mean, I'm reaching for that because I'm like. I'm not trying to be hard on it, but I, I want to give it fair criticism where, you know. See, I think it walked a weird tightrope where, like, he walked through some of the riddles, but then was a clueless idiot for most of it. Like, he didn't understand the rat with wings thing. He didn't deduce the plan, which the Riddler thought he would. Um, he, he brought Falcone right into the light for the Riddler to kill, unknowingly. <laughs> like, he's just, he failed so much at every I mean, turn. Also, yeah. And he was such a bad detective. I, mean, you can, you I like that, that, though. I was going to say, you can chalk that back up to him being 
new to to the whole thing too. Okay, but then don't tell me this is a detective Batman story when he's just like, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I'm he's just gonna still guess. doing detective things. Whether he's good at it or not, he's, they're still putting it out there. Fine. Yeah, I was actually okay with that. I like the mistakes. I like the false leads. I mean, that's all part of the genre. I thought the rat with wings thing was an interesting clue because it could be interpreted many ways. Um, ultimately, in the end, I the mystery i don't know if the mystery serves the whole movie but i i won't get into that we already kind of talked about it i did like at the end when selena kyle basically says listen i don't i don't think gotham is is going to be saved i think it's beyond saving i'm out because that's just the most logical thing that anyone's ever said in life is that this place is really crazy and it only gets crazier every time every time you try to do something good. So I'm out. I'm going to go. I, w- I always say, imagine being the head of tourism for Gotham City. <laughs> the turnover rate must be insane. Yeah. That's probably because they're dying left and right. Because you yeah. know, everyone in Gotham is just kind of fodder for the, the heroes and villains to fight around. Yeah. Hey, maybe maybe that's an allegory for the world. When you try to do something good, it gets crazier. But if you got to be like Batman and keep trying, I don't know. Maybe. Well, you know, when when you're Batman, you got to save that one guy from being beaten up by the gang at the beginning. But then you got to ramp off the exploded trucks that you caused with your recklessness. <laughs> We haven't um, we haven't even touched on uh, the other big cameo that comes up in this movie. Well, I was just gonna bring that up, and the reason I didn't talk about it yet is because it didn't even feel like it was part of the movie. It was just like, oh, yeah, felt... let's just add this in here. It felt like a post credit scene. That's yeah, they should have made that a post credit scene instead of what they actually gave us. I will say that. Yeah. But also, can I, I just gonna rant on that real quick? Uh, don't say there's an Easter egg for someone at the end of the movie, and that's the thing. Come on. Get out of here. That's terrible. Just say there's nothing. Just go. Just go home, and I will. I'll gladly go. I waited for that. The point The point that I just want to make about the Joker, we don't have to spend too much time on it because it was kind of groan-inducing to a point. Even though I personally enjoyed it, I can see how it would be groan-inducing. Um I wish they had thought to cast Barry Keoghan as the Joker like five years ago, maybe even before Joaquin Phoenix, and just omitted the whole Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Because a, oh. I think he would make a good Joker. I think, you know, if that's where they're going, cool, awesome. But I also think that the Joker market in cinema is very oversaturated right now. I couldn't agree more. Take let the Joker take a few years yeah. off, in my opinion. It's like, but I can't argue with the casting. I mean, especially coming in, coming off of watching uh, the Killing of a Sacred Deer, seeing him in that, um, among other things, like just sign me up for a Barry Keoghan Joker, but just not yeah, right I, now. I don't want to see another Joker until I see at least two Mister Freezes, two Mister Freezes in one Clayface. We gotta get Clayface. Then... We, I, I, yeah, I agree. We gotta get Clayface. You can do so many cool things with Batman villains. Like, please broaden the horizons. And give me a Bane who's an actual like luchador. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> give me like a weird Tom Hardy Bane. Get Pedro Pascal to play a version of Bane. That would Absolutely. be cool. 
So of the last few years, I wanted to ask you guys quickly, where does this stand for you amongst the DC films? Because they have actually taken an interesting approach in which they're kind of seem to be foregoing the sort of copycat Marvel model where they build up this universe and they did that way too quickly. And they seem to just be doing different versions of similar heroes, but just kind of throwing auteur directors at these projects and going go ahead make your version are you guys in favor of that did you want to see more of a an mcu style dc movie slate are you calling todd phillips an auteur director? <laughs> well i know everyone craps on that movie now and i'm not saying it's great however I uh, I'll raise I honestly was, best picture nominee. I was crapping on it when I got out of it's there. It's Todd Phillips. <laughs> hey, Road Trip. You didn't get the Criterion version of Road Trip. I did not. I was, I must have I was crapping that. on it when I got out of the theater. I was so underwhelmed by that movie. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it was. I had hyped it up so much in myself, so I guess that's me. But it wasn't. It was a little. Um, sticky as far as the implications of it, but I thought it was entertaining. I don't know. I was I didn't hate it. To an- to answer your question though, um, I'm I'm fine with it because I mean there's only one Kevin Feige, and I think he's got a, a formula that works with Marvel, and I don't think every stu- I really don't think every studio needs to replicate it or try to replicate it because as we can see and as we have seen with the DC attempt at that. It's not not an easy feat. So like I'd much rather see all these sort of encapsulated uh, sort of individual stories being told because it's it's funny because it's like I'm not a huge comic book guy by any means. I'm not going to claim to be, but like comic books you can kind of look at comic books the same way. I mean, they have, well, this, I guess this is more of like, I guess more of like a comic booky vibe where like, you know, you have different runs, different stories that are told and you have a beginning, the end, and then you don't all tie back into one large, one greater continuity. So it, it just breeds or it, 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 it leaves room for more creativity in my opinion. Which I think Marvel is actually, it really seems like Marvel is trying to pivot to that model more so, where DC seems to be excelling at it already, if that makes sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm here for it. I disagree with your, your, your thing that Marvel's trying to follow that now. I feel like Marvel's gotten even worse with what the MCU formula and that like, oh, you don't know who this guy is? You didn't watch that TV show? The from the, the like, I feel like you have to watch everything from Marvel to get the characters because everyone's just popping up. Well, at, the, else. at this point, yeah, but I'm saying like once they break open more into the multiverse and they open the the gates to just have like different ver- yeah. variants and different versions of the same characters, I think they're. I don't think they're close. To I don't that, think they're though, because they're still. Well, I'm not saying they're there yet, but I'm saying they're. It. I can see that that's where they're trying to go. I'm not saying they're close or nothing, but. Yeah, I just have to say I have a ton of MCU fatigue, so I don't need a universe that's set up and you see the same actors a thousand times in every movie. Absolutely, give me your own interpretation of the characters. 
even though this one wasn't my favorite. I absolutely love that they gave a director his chance to take on this character with his own view. Um, I hope they do that more, kind of just disconnected movies that I don't have to watch every movie to get. Um, so I definitely agree with that. I'd give me another Batman in five years. <laughs> Well, completely different. As far as this year, we're getting Black Adam, The Flash, Aquaman two, and a, a Batgirl movie. I saw maybe. Yeah. With, which um, of these are you most excited for? Well, Batgirl is supposed to have Michael Keaton coming back. Oh. I thought The Flash yeah, was too. Yeah. Yeah. True. Oh God, they are doing it. Yeah, they are doing it. <laughs> well, these are still... I think those last three are still DCEU. Like, they're in that universe oh, of, see. like, Batman v Superman, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Black Adam is kind of ambiguous right now still, but... I'm fine with that if you run that DCEU through James Gunn. Yeah. Because I like what he's doing with it. <laughs> but other than that, you know, just give me everyone watch separate. Your, watch your fine. tongue, though. The Snyder Cult's gonna come after us if we... If we... Oh, no. <laughs> Any final thoughts on the Batman? Um, overall, I think it's a very solid movie. I really enjoyed it. Like I said, recommend with a caveat. You know, it's kind of in between not quite being accessible for general audiences and easy fodder for nitpicky people. But I think there's a lot more to like than to not about this movie. And... I also just want to say this score was fantastic as well. Yeah. I think I kind of disagree with that, though, about the general audiences. Because I don't think they push, like, you know who Batman is. Everyone knows who Batman is. I think I think it's it's accessible enough where, like, they don't really have to, dra- like, you know, if you know who the Penguin and Catwoman are, you're set. Like, just a generic background. I guess. Everything else is kind of set up. Like, the Riddler is given a backstory. I guess, well, let me put so, it this way. I guess it pays dividends to have more knowledge of the backstories and be more versed and be, like, a like a really hardcore Batman fan. It does pay dividends versus someone fair. who isn't. All right. I, I, Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna get my thoughts. I was gonna say I think I think anyone can watch this movie and kind of get enjoyment out of it. Like like we said, it's three hours long, so definitely it's if you're not into it, I could see it dragging for you. If you're not a Batman fan, absolutely. But I mean, I, I recommend giving it a watch if you're curious. You might like it. I've said all I need to say. So we're gonna take a quick break and we're gonna be back talking about West Side Story after a word from our podcast friends. I'm Dawn and I'm Cole and Scottish Murders is a true crime podcast dedicated to people from or living in Scotland. Just like anywhere else in the world these murders can be truly horrific and shocking and we want to shine more light upon them. Join us every two weeks on Scottish Murders, where we'll bring you cases both solved and unsolved, giving you an insight into the other side of Bonnie Scotland. Find us wherever you stream your podcasts, as well as on social media. Join Join us there. there. Bye! All right, we're back talking about West Side Story. This is a about a sudden romance between young Tony and Maria. 
that raises tensions between two rival gangs in 1950s New York City. This is directed by none other than Steven Spielberg, written by Tony Kushner, uh, who is a playwright in other many forms of writing. I didn't know this, but it, most of it, pretty much exclusively his film work has been done with Steven Spielberg. This is based on the stage musical by Jerome Robbins, Leonard Bernstein, Steven Sondheim, and Arthur Lorraine. There's also the famous 1961 movie, which is, you know, largely one of Hollywood's favorite movies. And this was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for Ariana DeBose, Cinematography by Janusz Kaminski, Costume Design, Directing, Production Design, and Sound. Notably, no adapted screenplay nomination for Kushner, which I thought was interesting because I think this movie has interesting takes on some aspects of the stage show and the old film. But Matt, what did you think of West Side Story? I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so fun fact, this was actually the first movie I saw in 2022. I believe I saw it on New Year's Day when it was still in theaters, which that was quite the experience as it was. I also brushed up and rewatched it again on HBO Max just yesterday. And I loved it just as much the second time around as I did the first time. I will go into this full disclosure. I had not, and I still have not seen the 1961 original film adaptation. So I was going into this at a bit of a disadvantage. But as as a piece on its own, like even if that the rest of like the 61 adaptation didn't exist, it, this just as a single singular piece was just totally fantastic. I loved it. There's very few things that I can find to um, really gripe about. Tyler, I this is a movie that I feel like I would have enjoyed more in the theater. I kind of wish I did get to see it in the theater. Um, I don't think it had as much impact. Um, I watched it on my phone like a millennium. So <laughs> a millennium, <laughs> a millennium. You are I a thousand s- years. <laughs> no, that, that wasn't that. What uh, what's the name? Millennium. Ridley Scott. Mil- what was it? Millennium. Millennium. I'm sorry, a millennium. <laughs> like a like a fellow millennium. <laughs> um, I, but. Yeah, I just did watch it on my phone, but I enjoyed it. Um, I do have, I think I didn't enjoy it as much as you guys, but I liked it. Um, as someone who's not a musical guy, I did enjoy the music, uh, aside from Ansel Elgort, who was terrible. <laughs> so, he was okay, but yeah, he was not that great. He paled in comparison to the rest of them, that's for sure. He's, well, that's the did. problem. When you have him singing alongside Rachel Ziegler, like, she has a beautiful voice. Like I, I, Mike. I think we you talked about it earlier on another episode where like you thought like you were blown away kind of by her voice like when you first heard it, mm-hmm. and like I was expecting that, and I still was like I was shocked like how good she was. So yeah. I think when you have that, and then his comes after, you're just like oh. <laughs> like, yeah, I will. I will. I will just add that it, it did pay dividends to have seen it in the theaters. I really am glad that I was able to see it in theaters because yeah. watching it on streaming was not bad because I have a decent setup. But um, but the theater experience was definitely my favorite experience of this film. Mm. Guys, I, I, I'm going to have a theme of swooning over musicals. We just did Cyrano <laughs> and now this. I Guys, I could watch this day and night. It blew me away, as I mentioned, when I was in the theater and then I watched it at home Loved it at home, obviously not as good on the TV, but still quite excellent. 
vibrancy is the first word that comes to mind when I think of this. It's a top-tier musical where the story and the music are both incredible on their own, and they only make each other better. It's this beautiful mixture of love, grief, pain, hatred, and it doesn't shy away from the intensity of many of those aspects at times. The movie is so fiery and passionate. They had me for the whole entire two and a half hours. Normally, I'm hesitant to recommend musicals to a general audience, but if I have to recommend one, I, I would strongly recommend this one to anyone. Yeah, I'll, I'll not to keep piggybacking on everybody's stuff, but I'm also keeping up a trend much like you, Mike, with pretty much all the musicals that we've seen for this podcast so far have really drastically changed my viewpoint on musicals in general. Like, I never, I was never, I claimed to be a musical person, but I've been on, we've been on such a hot streak lately with them. And this, this one is a perfect example of that. I will just, I'll I'll just say my biggest criticism of this movie was they stole some of the moves from me and my gang of street toughs that dance in the streets. (laughs) (laughs) With the snapping of the fingers and the. Yeah, we snap and twirl, you know? That's, that's kind of what we do. And I was just like, whoa, yeah. Spielberg didn't notify me. <laughs> I think all these performances, this this cast was assembled so well. Rachel Zegler, Ariana DeBose. And the wonderful thing about this cast is that every character has a relationship with everybody else. You know, there are little scenes where we get things between Anita and Bernardo, and it's so well-developed, even though it's they're very quick scenes. Mike Feist as Riff uh, had this incredibly, like, youthful, belligerent energy, and he was dancing the whole time, and it was excellent. Rita Moreno, you know, in this Valentina character, she was so, like, sweet, but so, like, shattered, by everything that had happened to her and to the ones she loved and in the neighborhood and to her people and all that. And I, I was very fascinated by this anybody's character played by Iris Manis, who, you know, in the old version is just kind of a tomboy that wants to join the Jets, but now uh, is made into a trans character who is kind of like straddling both lines between the Sharks and the Jets. And I found it very, very fascinating. Yeah, I um I also like what they did with Rita Moreno and how I granted like I said I didn't see the original but I read about how basically she's more or less like a like a swap of the character of Doc from the original, am I right? Yeah. But she's still so it's in the fact that she was in the original, I think it was nice that they tried to you know make a fresh take on this familiar role plus include someone for the original as a nice nod to the original production yeah this it's definitely had a, a fascinating portrayal of racial tensions neighborhood overhaul the relationship between different groups and police all that kind of stuff and largely dives into this idea of idealism versus reality there are so many dreams in this movie so many lofty goals that are so like possible that you could reach out and grab but so many of the the vile forces in the world are just like keeping those things from being achieved when it's it's entirely unnecessary and i I thought that was very well put throughout the dance dancing dancing was a language in this movie 
Uh, it's fierce. It's aggressive at times. It's beautiful at other times. The choreography, I thought, was a great variety. And as far as the musical, the, mu the music's all great in this. One thing I loved about this is that there are multiple extras in multiple scenes who look at these people who are dancing and singing in the streets, and they look at them like, what the hell is going on? Because that's a major criticism often of musicals. Is some people can't get into the idea that like all these people would just know all the same steps and sing and dance and all that. And this was like a funny little, <laughs> excuse me, a funny little nod where, you know, this custodian out in the street or the woman in the jail cell is like, what the hell are these people doing? <laughs> and so I, I really like that. That was a nice touch. You guys have a favorite song or scene in the movie? I should have known this question was coming. Yeah. <laughs> I should have thought to pick one out specifically, but um, um I'm going to defer to Tyler for now. I'm going to defer back to you. <laughs> okay. Why don't you guys I just mean, turn off your mics? I'll talk for the rest of this segment. I mean, I liked I thought I thought all the music was pretty solid. I mean, that's I know that's kind of a cop out of the question, but I mean, I I, I guess there wasn't really a huge standout for me, much like Cyrano. Like I thought it was all just very solid. Hmm. Well, I'm going to mention them all, so maybe you can decide along the way. Yeah, yeah, refresh my memory for me. I, that great choice to have the Spanish included without subtitles. I think for some audience members, it's you know going to be uh, refreshing, and for other ones, it's going to put them more in the minds of some of the characters of all the chaos that's going on. Not entirely sure always what's being said, that sort of thing. Uh, the use of color in this, again, the cinematography was absolutely beautiful. It was so alive in the production design by Adam Stockhausen. And uh, the set decoration was done by Irena D'Angelo. It was, it was such a lived-in world. You know, it was, I mentioned it on the other pod. I was just like, wow, this is, this is really a movie. I recommend this to anybody. You guys ready to get into the scenes in West Side Story? We are. All right. Well, yes, I, sir. If you're somebody who's concerned about spoilers, I I would like to hear why, and you can certainly contact us, but these are spoilers from now on. Spoiler warning. If you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences. First words you see in this movie are slum clearance, which I think sets the scene for the whole thing. We get the tension in the changing neighborhood between uh, the white sharks, or as they put it, the, the can't-make-it Caucasians, sort of the descendants of, of poorer white groups that did not find success in America. And the Jets. The Jets. Yeah, the New York Jets. <laughs> the New York Jets, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you said the sharks, the white sharks. Oh. Jesus. That's why I was... <laughs> Bat, what did I say? Batwoman, the sharks? Yeah, the sharks. Oh, my God. The Jets, the Jets, the Jets. And then uh, the sharks were Puerto Ricans. And right from the first dance number, there, there is, like, dance as violence. There was violent dance in this scene. I absolutely loved it. They set up the rumble. They have When You're a Jet. And then we get introduced to Tony. And I would agree that... Ansel Elgort is not the best performance in this movie. I don't think he's bad. I thought he was serviceable. 
Um, but I really liked the Tony character and that they set him up as this guy who just got out of jail for almost killing somebody, and now he wants to change his ways. Now, I know, Tyler, you said you did not care for Ansel Elgort in this, correct? Uh, the, the role itself was alright, I just did not like his singing. Now, what if they had cast someone like Tim Chalamet instead? Stop. I would have thrown this in a dumpster and not watched it. <laughs> yeah, that would have hurt it a little bit. Or Tom Holland, for that matter. I feel like Tom Holland would have been okay in this. Uh... I'm going to move on from that comment. Maybe. I'd, I'd be like, why Why is this like five-year-old trying to date an 18-year-old? <laughs> All right. You know what? Here's, here's where this stops. Right here. I'm going to defend Tom Holland. I know I already did this on the on the last podcast. We get it. He's young. Leave him alone. He's a grown man. That's his only role is boy. <laughs> He'll get other roles. He'll be fine. Let him. Leave him be, people. All right, back to West Side Story. Uh, Tony in the basement, and then when he comes upstairs, talks to Valentina, and he has the song, Something's Coming. This is like the, you know, I feel some consequence yet hanging in the stars, Romeo and Juliet moment. And I really like that a lot. The shot of Maria on the balcony, I remember being struck by this in the trailer, and it was even more captivating in the movie. Just kind of her in spotlight on the fire escape. Uh, it was absolutely beautiful. I also thought this was one of the best trailers of last year. Where you have the shadows of the two gangs meeting, all the stuff in the street. Underrated trailer. So forgive me for if, if this is getting ahead or if this is me being, being ignorant. But are the fire escapes, do you think the fire escapes are meant to be like motifs throughout the movie? Definitely. And I want to talk about that. We'll get there in a couple of numbers. Uh, the dance at the gym. I, my lord, I want to watch this a thousand times and see how they did it. It's so colorful. It's so it's. There's a reminiscence to it. There's a nostalgia to it, but with with something extra. It's not like a sweet nostalgia. It's a nostalgia with heat, right? Both good and bad. People are turned on. People are pissed off. Everybody has energy in here, and then we get the meaning of Tony and Maria behind the bleachers. Rachel Zegler, who is great in this movie throughout the whole thing, does great facial acting in this scene. You know, it's you can see it in her face that like she can't even believe what is happening to her, which I thought was was excellent instinct. And then also, guys, we get it again. We get a guy and a girl and they both agree to dance. He does at first say, I don't like to dance. But then he's like, oh, no, no, I do like to dance. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> We get the song Maria, which was very reminiscent of uh, when Cyrano sings about Roxanne. Tony in the Streets, I had forgotten between my first viewing and my second viewing how often Ansel Elgort gets to sing by himself, which I I had forgotten about that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm interested in his casting choice because it, it does stand out, his singing ability, uh, but I, that doesn't really bother me that much. We get a beautiful echo when he's singing in the streets. This is where we get the first funny moment where the custodian like looks at him singing and leaping on the road. And he's like, what the hell is this guy doing? We get the shot over the water where it looks like he's walking on water. And it was just so, you know, it was just showing him in this dreamlike state of love is a perfect visualization of that. And then Matt, we get the 
song tonight which is on the fire escape what were you thinking about it being a motif throughout the movie um it just seems like any time like some kind of significant turning point in the narrative happens there's it's like it, the shot involves some sort of either a fire escape or in, in, they're either in or on or around or there's a fire escape in the in the shot like, yeah Absolutely. And usually it's usually something not good happens not long after. Well, I thought this was so symbolic uh, of the, these barriers between them, right? The the fire escape is locked underneath. He can't get through. The only way he can do is to like force his way by climbing up on the side. I thought that this, this set piece was shot in a way and composed in a way where it looked both cinematic and as though... You could be looking at it on a stage. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like the single yeah, angle that. worked so well. This was this was the moment where I'm like, wow, Rachel Zegler is a star, and I got to see much more of her. Uh, and then the next morning, we get the the excellent little scene of Maria and Bernardo talking about the fight between the Jets and the Sharks, and all that stuff. Next song is America where all the ladies and the men are walking in the streets. I love the call and response of this, of where the ladies have this, like, such optimism for this country where they think, you know, they can achieve their dreams, and the men uh, are sort of having this these cynical responses. I won't even call it call and response. It's call and rebuttal. Uh, and also Ariana DeBose's yellow dress with the red underneath. That might have been the outfit of the movie in a movie with uh, many beautiful outfits. I, I'm just going to chime in here to say that was probably my favorite song. Yeah, I was going to say that the one same. was really, Oh, I'm glad yeah. you guys decided. That, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Aren't you glad? It's, I mean, I, I was I was on like the cusp of saying it, but I had to think about it some more. Okay. I, I had to bake it in the oven a bit more. Yeah, that, that was good. Tony and Maria spend the day away. They go to the cloisters. I like this because, you know, this, you can. A criticism of Romeo and Juliet and subsequently and consequently this movie is that the romance happens in three seconds and it does happen in three seconds. You kind of just have have to accept it or not buy into it. I like that they have this scene because it makes it seem like a little more slowed down. Again, it's still happening. The scene where they get married. They do. <laughs> they, they, they marry each other. That's a slowed down. And he does have his little speech about how, you know, he felt like an awful person after he almost killed someone, which, you know, fair, fair feeling, Tony. Um, you know, I feel like Maria is way more accepting of how many people he's killed. We will get than there. Most people would be. We're definitely going to talk about that. <laughs> so I like that. And then back in the holding cell, we have. The Jets, who are being held by the police because the police want to know where the rumble is. We get the anybody's conflict where they're, you know, making fun of anybody's gender, saying she, uh, they don't belong. And then they have G-Officer Krupke. I didn't, I don't want to say I didn't love this number, but I don't want to make too many comparisons between the 1961 and this one. But the G-Officer Krupke in the old one is one of my favorites. So for this one, this one just didn't work on me as well because the other one has been so imprinted in me. My internet started glitching out during this one, so it like stopped and started. Oh yeah, like ten times during it. So 
Um, yeah, it wasn't my favorite either. Although it was, it was fine in theaters. So I mean, I had again. I'm I'm coming at it at a disadvantage because I haven't seen the original. Mm. So I thought it was good. I thought it was pretty good, but that's without the, having anything to compare it with. I just want to ask Mike in the original: Are they singing the entire song to Krupke, or is that like that one where he just comes in at the end? No, he's not there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Then, then I don't have a criticism about it. Unless my memory is failing me, but no. Um, we get, and apologies if I'm wrong on that, but I don't think I am. And then you're right, Tyler. They pretty much get married. <laughs> Beside the stained glass, we have the song One Hand, One Heart, which uh, not my, at first wasn't my favorite song. It maybe still isn't, but I did like how gospel inspired it is. Besides, you know, with the marriage motif and the stained glass and all that stuff. Tyler, have we gotten to your, your big nitpick yet, or is that coming later? Not yet. That's coming oh, up. Okay. That's coming up. I'm, I would say I wish they just sang Marry Me here. Marry me, yeah. <laughs> say yes. That would have been great. That would have made it. Uh, we have the, the Jets getting the gun, which... You know, I thought I thought that was done well with like them playing with it like it was a toy, as opposed to like a real gun. Yes. You know, I want to. I want to. I was gonna say I want to amend my favorite. Hey, oh, go ahead. That was this one. I'll go, oh, am, am, am I going? Or are you going, Matt? Sorry, I, I just go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm just gonna say the scene where they're buying the gun is the dumbest scene I've ever seen in my life. Um. You know when he says like I bought I, I've shot a Colt revolver and he says a thirty two, and then he says the nonsensical line of well Colts shoot twenty twos. There there were many thirty two caliber Colt revolvers in existence in, in this time in the fifties. Uh, so that line made absolutely no sense. It's like I gotcha. You never fired a gun. I don't. Very few Colt revolvers would have fired twenty twos at the time. So a thirty-two would have made a lot more sense. So I thought that was an odd line. I don't know if that was for this movie or if that was in the original play. So I can't I can't criticize this movie, but that line made no sense. Is that was that your big nitpick? Yes, a hundred percent. Fair. Like I hate I hate yeah. when movies have no idea about guns and they just make lines like that. You didn't <laughs> Cold even... shoot twenty twos is nonsense. I'm surprised you didn't say you're one about the Batman. Which one? The one where oh, the like, rifles. rifles are good. Rifles yeah, are that was best. just dumb. <laughs> I won't argue uh, with you with that scene. <laughs> See, I said you wouldn't. <laughs> You're right. I, yeah. 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 We get the song Cool on the Dock, which I, I thought was uh, very interesting choreography. Matt, is this the one that you're saying is your new favorite? Yeah. Now that I think about it, I, I thought I liked that scene quite a bit. It was very... Um, it was like they were almost... Like like you were saying before, almost like violent dancing. Like they were, it's like they were having a, f- a full on fight, but just through dance. Yeah, and I really liked how it was these two, you know, non blood but brothers, brother bond, and loyalties are being torn apart here when they shouldn't have to be. You know, Tony and Maria should have to be in love without all this stuff getting in the way, but there are these social forces that that screw everything up. And we get the song Tonight, which I excellent use of lyrics for different purposes. We have the two gangs, Jets and Sharks, who are getting ready to fight. And then we have everyone else who's excited. Tony's excited to see Maria. She's excited to see him. I really like that. And then the 
the set design of the salt shed where the rumble takes place that was really really cool i enjoyed mm -hmm. that visually a lot yeah that was prominently featured in the trailer too right yeah yeah especially with the shadows coming in of the the two gangs was the salt line thrown in for people who don't know what salt is? Which line? It's like, this is what they put on the road for the winners. <laughs> I was just like, okay. <laughs> Wait, who said that? One of the sharks. Like, he explained, he's like... No, it was one of the jets. Uh, or, yeah, one of the jets, sorry. One of the New York jets said it. I think it was like Joe Namath. Well, that, that, that... <laughs> no, but he literally like says like, oh, like, let it snow or something. And he's like, this is salt. They throw it on the roads in the winter. Like, yeah. It just felt so, like... Yeah, I caught that, too, yeah. Exposition. Um, yeah, we have the fight. Tony's trying to stop it. Bernardo ends up killing Riff, and then Tony's like, well, I gotta kill you now. And so here's here's what I found odd about the the editing of this, is that right after we get this mega violent climactic where two of our main characters die. Then we get the song I Feel Pretty in the department store. <laughs> yeah. At first I thought this was very strange. The juxtaposition of what I you know, what I just said, the the violence with the the optimism. But then I thought about it a little more and maybe I'm justifying it too much. But I perhaps it worked to underline the missed opportunity of their love because you see Maria who is so feeling so ripe with the world and how she can, you know, live out the things that she wants to do. Meanwhile, we all know there's this bottom that has dropped out from her life, even though she doesn't know it yet. So maybe it's kind of a dramatic irony thing, or it could just be strange editing. No, that's, that's how I took it was the dramatic irony. Yeah. Just... Yeah, because it's kind of like uh like she's on top of the world now, like she's there happy as she's ever been, yeah. and it's like, yeah, like oh well, you don't know like what happened. Yeah, yeah just you wait, you know, like it, it's sad, powerful. In the aftermath of that, we have Anita identifying the body. I love Anita's story arc of starting out with with America and being so optimistic about new home and everything like that, and then slowly as the movie goes on. She's just demoralized again and again and again until she just has to renounce American identity completely. I really like that story arc. <laughs> we have Tony coming to see Maria fresh, fresh off of killing her brother. Murdering Still covered him. in blood. Still yeah. covered in his blood. And we get one of my biggest movie pet peeves, which is where a woman is upset with a man and she just... Uh beats on it she's like oh you're a jerk you're a jerk and then she's just like because apparently everyone is they can't even hit in movies apparently their their hits are do nothing which is ridiculous and then they just collapse into the chest and start crying i hate that and i love this movie but that is one of my biggest pet peeves in movies can i just i just want to bring this up now like it's it's entirely Tony's fault that Bernardo even killed Riff because he grabbed him and then like yeah. threw him into the knife. <laughs> so yeah. I did not buy his redemption of like, oh, I killed him only. Be you, you killed him because you forced him to kill yeah. your friend by accident. <laughs> Is that done differently in the 61 movie? Which one? 
the the death of Riff? I don't remember, it like, to be honest with okay, you. Okay, because I'm like, it would have been a lot better if, like, Bernardo had actually killed him and not, like, he's standing there with a knife and t- Tony threw him into the knife. Yeah, real White Lotus moment. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. so Maria makes a, a game-time decision here. Because she's like, well, this guy did cause the death of my brother. Well, we only got a little bit of time. Other people live in this apartment, and we don't have, we don't have it alone for too much longer. Yeah, this um, this was a decision that I still still grappling with a little it, bit. It does. It is kind of baffling, honestly. Like she just learned her brother was killed and the man who killed him is right there and that's her choice yeah hey you know what no judgment it's it's because of at least the reasoning that the movie gave which you can we can debate this all we want if we want but essentially without her brother the only other person that she really felt like she had was tony so if she if he were to get arrested and sent away to jail then she wouldn't have anything left really in her mind. Fair. So I see why she did that. Seems a little far-fetched. Sure. <laughs> but. Yeah, like, at least mourn. Have some just, more, yeah, like, can you come back tomorrow? It's <laughs> in the <laughs> moment. The, is. <laughs> but it's not the first. I mean, you've had to make, we've had to make a few jumps in logic at, by this point in the film. So, like, that's. And you're right. Is that, the, you know, such a theme of this is, like rash love not only the rash love but just like rash decisions people not thinking things through all the way which leads to destruction in this case it doesn't lead to destruction it leads to something else but you know it, it it's true with the rest of the movie we cut away we go to valentina who learns from some of the sharks about the deaths of riff and bernardo and she has this song somewhere, you know, basically about somewhere someday there could be a place for us where we can just be happy and none of the stupid stuff exists. And I love this. This hit me even harder the second time I watched this because I like this is the, the stuff that life is made of. This is what people are looking for. Just a place to be happy, a time in which to have peace, uh, a new way of doing things, not repeating the same old crap so you get the same old results. I love this number, and I thought she performed it beautifully. Uh, after that, we get a little reckoning with uh, Anita and Maria. We get the song A Boy Like That that switches into I Have a Love, which I think, Matt, goes into your point of Maria knows it's illogical for her to still be in love and to be running away with Tony, but sometimes love is illogical we talked about it on the Cyrano pod you just can't put it into words sometimes and then we get Chino's plan and Anita okay this I just want to talk about the end the last couple of ending scenes one scene in which that I was very interested or not interested but questioning how they handled it when Anita shows up to Valentina's request to see Tony we have all the jets there. Um, anybody war- anybody's warns her not to go in there. First of all, one point I want to make about the anybody's character is that, you know, uh, when they warn the jets about Chino and his plan and all that stuff, 
and one of them's like, "All right, you done good, buddy boy." I don't. That always bothers me a little bit. The like, "Oh, you did something good for us, therefore now you are accepted." Kind of. It yeah. was, it's very like Rudolph. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I yeah. I'm just not. I mean, that is how human nature works sometimes, but not not always a big fan of that. And then we have Anita coming in. And she is harassed initially by the Jets. And then they attempt to purr. And, you know, they, they are unsuccessful because Valentina, Valentina interrupts them, stops them. And that is when Anita completely gives up her American identity. She is done. She talks about, you know, Chino shooting Maria. What did you guys make on this scene? I was confused about this because I... I didn't know if it was like a comment on sort of the hypocrisy of male racism um, towards women of color. There was also, you know, the other women sticking up for her. I don't know if it was saying that the Jets are just completely irredeemable pieces of crap. I don't. What did you guys make of that when you saw it? I mean, I just I didn't I guess I didn't really think that deep into it as far as like what it could be a commentary of. But I, I think it was basically served, the purpose it served was to be like the final severing of Anita's optimism and willing or, or, or eagerness to assimilate to American culture. It, it's like she was, it, it, I mean, it, it basically, it was the cap on her story arc. Unfortunately, it wasn't a happy story arc, you know. It just, I think that was just like the final straw for her that really woke her up and realized that she it wasn't going to be happy in this society like she, or as optimistic about this society as she thought originally was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I took it as, along with that, I took it as a, like a, just an extreme way to show how far the, the, the people in the, uh, jets have fallen like how how like desensitized they become how evil they've become like she um rita moreno's character even says like you look at yourselves you've become now like straight up says that like it really shows just how far they've fallen and they're just irredeemable almost now because of the this conflict yeah I was, I was very struck by that and wasn't entirely sure what to make of it um so thank you for that you know, at the very end, after Tony dies, Maria sees him. We get this this very uh, violent ending. Maria, you know, has the gun. She says she can kill now because now she hates. Do you guys think they really would have all come together to carry off Tony? Was that believable? Mm, well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't. I mean, I, I understood why they did it that way because it was meant to be a unifying point. Like, they wanted it to be a unifying point, but re- realistically speaking, with how they've acted throughout the rest of the movie, I, I'm surprised... I would I, I would be surprised that they didn't just have another brawl right there. Yeah, I thought the same... Because, like, they've just committed their most heinous crimes. The Jets have almost just... Anita 
And now Chino has killed Tony, who was like the, you know, the big brother of the Jets. So I, I don't know if it was Maria, you know, now having this black heart um, or what, but I don't, the first time I didn't totally buy it. I bought a little more the second time, but I'm not sure. I just wanted to know what you guys thought. Well, at, you... at the same time, I know, at least with the Sharks, I mean, there was a scene when they were in the gym, and I think they were starting to realize how pointless a lot of the conflict was. Yeah. And I think the Jets kind of reached that, started to get to that point, too, after Valentina talked to them and, and chastised them. So, I mean, at the same time, I can see it, it wasn't a giant gap in logic either. It's okay. a good point. For me, but... So I have two things here. First, I'd say just uh, movie wise, like the question wise, is that um, I, th- I think we've we've suspended our disbelief quite a bit in this movie to this point. Where like, yeah. you know, she's in love with her brother's murderer. So I, I bought it. I, I think it worked enough in a in a movie where um, all this happened. But also, Mike, I have something you said. Tony was the big brother of the Jets, right? Yeah. I'd argue that the Patriots were the big brother of the Jets. <laughs> okay. Yeah, move on. That. <laughs> At the end here, we get the... I love that they have, like, the rubble in the city in the background. Everything's very decayed. Everything's broken down. And then, Matt, to your point about the fire escapes, the first time I saw this, I wasn't in love with the way the ending was framed. We have this you know up in the air and we're looking down through a fire escape at the receding crowd carrying away tony's body and then chino and valentina but then i thought about it and it made much more sense to me is that in the tonight number we have the fire escape as this barrier but as also as this hope this burgeoning hope between these two people that love each other But now at the end of the film, when Tony has died and Maria's spirit has basically died, we are looking through the fire escape as we once were, but now it's empty. Now it's gone. And that's that that was how I I looked at it. Yeah, I could see that for sure. What Oscar do you guys think this is most likely to win out of the seven nominations? What did it what was it up for again? Where's the page? Is it up for Best Picture? Do you think it's going to win Best Picture? I think I think it has a fair chance. I don't. You don't think yeah, so? I agree. It's better than Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog is way more likely to win, yeah. regardless of our, our favor. <laughs> it has nothing to do with our personal feelings. Yeah, uh, yeah no, I agree. <laughs> Not personal feelings-wise, I agree that it's more likely to win. Um, fine, whatever, dash, dash my hopes. I mean, maybe best directing? No? Probably Jane Campion for Power of the well, Dog. Oh my god, I just, I just need that movie to go away, like. What do you, <laughs> I don't, I don't, you know, you I don't Sam dislike, Elliott? I mean, I don't dislike the movie, and it's, it's a good movie, but it's just like, I don't understand all the hype about it. I really, I can't, I, I, it was good, but it wasn't that good to me, I don't know. Well, here's Maybe what I need you to watch it again. Here's what you don't have to worry about. I don't think that Kirsten Dunst is beating Ariana DeBose for best support. <laughs> that is actress. the one I think would have the best chance. Yeah, Ariana DeBose. I just want to do like a acting 
uh, comparison here in this movie. When Ariana DeBose find, sees the body of um, Bernardo, the the facial acting she does is incredible. Yeah. Compare that to Ansel Elgort's reaction when he when uh, Valentina tells him <laughs> that that uh, but, Maria's know. dead, and he's like his eyes bulge out like he's about. I thought he was gonna laugh. Yeah. Like, oh my god! It's just yeah. a horrible reaction. <laughs> he it was dramatic. Hey, it was a dramatic choice. I mean, some of the stuff like cinematography, costume design, I feel like it would have fair chances at. Could be, although we do need to reserve costume design for Cyrano because that is its only <laughs> it's nomination. <true. laughs> Production design, I guess, has a shot, but I best Nightmare supporting Alley, actress though, is pretty, yeah is pretty up there too, though. My my prediction is probably going to be Nightmare Alley for production design, but I best supporting actress seems to be a lock. Ariana DeBose already won the SAG award. What about? I'm sure she'll about, be getting others. What about sound though? Who else is up for sound? Let me look real quick. Without even remembering the other nominees, I'm going to say no. No? I'm going to assume Dune is up for this, because Dune is up for every single technical category. Well, oh my god, I just finished talking about Power of the Dog being a good, not great movie. Yeah. Don't get me started on Dune. Our, uh... (laughs) Tyler and I's Dune is your Power of the Dog. Yeah, hundred percent. That's how. I mean, I, I, I'm firmly, I'm with you guys on Dune. Like, I, I. Here's the nominees for sound: Belfast, Dune, No Time to Die, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. You know, I really, I, I feel bad being such a hater on Power of the Dog, but I just, I, I, I. Maybe I need to watch it again. Maybe that that'll be my homework for this week. But hey, it's okay to have your feelings it's all good any final thoughts on west side story or have we covered it i have a thought that i forgot to bring up all right just just to throw away comment um in the scene the the, the america song number mm-hmm. you know you think those people in the car on the street when everyone just came out to dance in the middle of the street were just like oh i kind of got to get to work guys <laughs> like, yeah. you know, this is really inconveniencing <laughs> me <laughs> Just take over a whole street and it, walk into traffic singing and dancing. Well, just imagine how those people on the on the bridge in Batman felt. <laughs> They're just trying to get to work or get to <laughs> home from Fair work enough. or whatever because it was nighttime. And then the, just cars are exploding all around them. The Batmobile's driving over them. Or what if somebody in that car is so excited to go and see the Batman... And then they are run over by the Batmobile. Would that be a cool experience or disappointing? I, I, if you if you survive, it'd be cool. You got a little story to tell. <laughs> hey, the Batman mutilated. <laughs> well, if if you, the listener, have any thoughts on the Batman West Side Story, anything else, please write to us at silverscreensavers at gmail.com. If you like the show, please tell a friend. Please rate and review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, other platforms. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod. Our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. And Matt, where can you be found online? Um, so you you missed the pod at the end of the email. Oh, did I? Jeez, I'm messing everything up today. Silver Screen Savers Pod at gmail.com. Anyway, um, 
Not try, not trying to nitpick here. No, that's um, it wouldn't go to our email, so that's a great nitpick. Fair enough. You can find me at Maddie X Sturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. You can find me at, at Tyler Sutkus on Instagram and Twitter and Tyler96 on Letterboxd. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and on Letterboxd at M Gallet. Well, thank you to the people who stayed to the very end. You're the best. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallet, Tyler Sukis, and Matt Sturdivant. With additional editing by Matt Sturdivant. Intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay. Logo design by Nathan Seidel.